millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio today with David Witt. David is the CEO of a ministry called Spirit of Martyrdom. Uh, But I first met David many years ago when he was working for us here at Voice of the Martyrs. And we will talk a little bit about that. David, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Todd, what a delightful reunion to be back together with you and see all that God's doing here and even with your uh, life. So thank you for having me. Well, it is our pleasure. Uh, let's let's go back to that first part of the story. How did you come to work at Voice of the Martyrs? What were you doing? And I know you had interactions with our founders, with the Wormbrands. Absolutely. Uh, truly, my story with the persecuted church and Voice of the Martyrs is a God story. I first went to Promise Keepers, so there's another big organization hidden history here. In 1992, Voice of the Martyrs had a booth there. I was a youth pastor in those days, really seeking the Lord, just his heart for my future. Uh, Saw the booth, signed up for the newsletter, totally unaware of the persecuted church. Started reading those newsletters, and I was um, captivated. And I began to read Richard Wormbrandt's uh, stuff. And so that was 1992. And then I went on staff. It's a long story, but the Lord called me on staff in 1998. And I was a mission representative then and traveling internationally to countries to visit with the persecuted church, to see the voice of the martyrs work, and then come and report it back to churches and conferences. And so it was during that time I got to, in the twilight years, um, visit with the Wormbrands. And that's one of the highlights of my life between reading their books and meeting them personally. They were the genuine article. And one of the trips I got to do, Todd, I don't, I don't know if we ever talked too much about this, but I got to go through Romania. I think it was 2006. And I was actually in one of the prison cells that Richard uh, spent time in. And I, it was like a holy experience for me. And, and the Lord really used that experience. And, you know, people, you know, refer to Richard Sabina Warmbrand. They were responsible for so many ministries. The more I got to know them and the people who knew them, they were better than the books. And so I carried, I think, that imprint on my heart. And it was the 10 years of Voice of Martyrs that really laid the foundation for me for this lifetime work. That started with you running into a VOM rep, signing up mm-hmm. to get the magazine. Yeah. It impacted your life. Then you begin as a mission rep going out to churches and saying, hey, sign up for this magazine. It's going to impact your life. Yeah. I was always a little jealous of the mission reps because you got to see the impact that the ministry has on American Christians. Yeah. And, and you were that impact, really. I mean, you yeah. you came on as a magazine reader, and yeah. it's now <laughs> changed, yeah. changed your whole life 30 yeah. years later. Yeah. Are there some particular times with the Wormbrands that, that really stick in your memory, like that was such a sweet time of fellowship, or, or a story they told, or somehow that they challenged you? Is there anything that just jumps out at you? Yeah, the, the Wormbrands, uh, to exemplify their life, uh, it... it there's many descriptions. I'll just start one of them in my heart right now is that I think they really exemplified that scripture that Jesus even quoted from Isaiah, 
that a smoldering wick I will not extinguish and a bruised reed I will not break. And so I would be with them at times and they would they would take in anybody coming along the path, you know, and they just <laughs> love on them. And I remember one time we were in their living room and the conversation was getting a little bit political and kind of of angst and, you know, what was going on and wringing of hands kind of thing. And, and Sabina Wormbrand just got this sweet smile and she said, you know— don't you think we could talk about Jesus? Isn't he so much more pleasant? And, you know, it was such a sweet rebuke that you just kind of felt loved and immediately just got right back into God-honoring conversation. And and they, she was like that. There was a few times that we got in conversations that I realized afterwards probably were not the most honoring. And then she said, well, let me tell you a story. She was the best storyteller of anybody I knew. And she would tell a story. It was so, um, you know, warming and it would draw you in. And then at the end, I remember a couple of times, Oh, she just rebuked us for the conversation before, but just so gently we feel good about it. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we're coming up to the holidays. We're yeah. going to be with family. That That's a good a good thing for us all to file away. Can't we? Let's talk about Jesus again. Yeah, let's, amen. Uh, let's bring it back and talk about yeah. him some more. David, who are some of the people you met in your international travels as you went and met with persecuted Christians and heard their stories? Who are some of those that just— marked you and really impacted you with their story. In India, um, there's a pastor, you know, that we, we get to work with is Pastor Singh. It was amazing. He was dying, uh, Todd, at 15 years old of, of a liver disease. The, the doctor said he'd be dead within a, a year. The, the, his mother didn't give up hope. He was the only son. So his father was just angry, rejected him because he thought, my only son is worthless. And he had a sister. So he got rejected by his own father, and he got so weak. He couldn't keep any food down, So and he got so weak he couldn't even sit up on the couch. He had to lay him on the couch. And so she brought him shrine to shrine to find a holy man to see if there was some help. And, um, and nothing was working, so he was truly dying. And one day his mother in the village, I mean, there was no witness of Christ. They'd never even heard the name of Jesus. Uh, a Christian businessman was coming through the village, met the mother, heard about the situation, and asked, did you pray in the name of Jesus? No, don't know that name. Oh, yes, pray in the name of Jesus and only Jesus, he said, and he can heal your son. Well, that's literally all she she knew. She didn't know about the life, death, resurrection. (laughs) Yeah. So, but there was faith. It just, it sparked a a seed of faith. It's the the straw she's grabbing onto. I mean, she doesn't have any other source of hope. Yeah. So, so with that, she goes home. He remembers it to the day. He was laying on the couch and and she got on her knees. She said, Jesus... If you're our God and you can heal my son, I'll dedicate him to your service. And he felt, felt immediate like electricity said, from his head to his toe. And he knew something had just happened. And he immediately started feeling better. Within two hours, he's up walking. He immediately asked for something to eat and drink. Of course, the family's rejoicing that this has happened. But then Todd was interested. And this is what we see in all our lives, right? The family then got dread. They got scared because they thought, who is this God that we've never known his name, and the first time we even mention his name, he heals us and hears us. We need to give sacrifice to that God. So they, for two days, tried to track down that businessman, finally tracked him down. Of course, he was thrilled, and he, and he shared the whole gospel with him. His whole family was saved. And the reason I'm telling you this is that within three months, the Holy Spirit spoke to a uh, pastor saying he's 16 years old, and, he's, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him, go now and give this message to all of India. And for 12 years, first of all, he left his home with his, the shirt on his back, Equivalent of $3 in his pocket and a tattered Bible. 
And for 12 years, from village to village, I did some math, just some estimation. I think it was about 40,000 miles in 12 years going from village to village, preaching Christ, praying for people, wow. seeing many miracles. Well, God used those days for him to then establish a church planting network, uh, basically a six-month ch- uh, church planting um, school, and empowering low-caste, poor, with just tools of the gospel to spread his, uh, spread his word. And that's now grown to over 7,000 trained church pastor over a million network. And and so that network, and now we're connecting these amazing leaders. That's the inspiration to me, Todd, when I see lives being poured out like that. And that's the spark of revival, you know, and now we see revival happening in Africa, in Asia, and even Latin America, where we're working. And I think about that starts with one Christian who says, you should pray in the name of Jesus. Like, it wasn't like a big production. It wasn't a big mm-hmm. gospel presentation. It was, hey, you, you've got a need. You should pray in the name of Jesus. And then went on his way, and, and he, he didn't even know what he had done until yeah. later. Yeah. The simplicity, I think you're catching that. The simplicity of that work has inspired me. And one of the things now that we really teach and preach is the that the Word of God is sufficient for godliness and witness because that they have one textbook in their in their school, Todd. It's the Bible. <laughs> How novel is that, right? <laughs> David, going back to your book, and I think about um, 2001, 9-11, there's a attack in New York. There's an attack in Washington, D.C. For a lot of Americans— they thought of radical Islam for the first time on 9-11. It's like, wait, yeah. who are Wake up who call. did this? What what's going on? The message of loving your enemies that comes out of that spirit of martyrdom, the willingness to say, No, I'm you don't have to kill me. I lay down my life. I want to see you reached with the gospel. How how did that go over within American Christendom at that time? Especially, I'm thinking right after that attack, because there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, you oh, yeah. know, how could this happen? What? But here, Jesus called us to love our enemies. Did you find a fertile soil for that message, or were there a lot of people that were like, wait a minute, I'm not going to love the people who just attacked my country? Well, I think you're hitting Todd on a true issue we've had to deal with the institutional church here in the United States. That there was an immediate reaction of hatred. Let's you know. You know, they sow us hatred and violence. We're sow it back, I think. But then the Holy Spirit was working on the mature believers and leaders everywhere that, no, this was an opportunity, an opportunity to sow the message and come beside uh, the persecuted church, especially in the Islamic world. Um, so as I be, so what was interesting is I became one of the authorities during those years for VOM on Islam. I studied the Quran and wrote the book and everything else. And um, I was speaking at churches, and it was a— it was a paradoxical message in that the church's job is to lay our lives down for our enemies and return that better good for an evil. And what I saw is people came into church and they weren't necessarily wanting to hear that message. <laughs> <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has a, a way of overpowering our uh, our desires, right? And um, and so I think, and you know what we see, Todd, from those days that we talk globally, that the nine eleven became the benchmark of the greatest work of Muslims coming to Christ in the history of the world. And really, again, what I was just referring to our, our director in Northwest Africa, we're seeing revival there, and we can trace a lot of that revival back to the fundamentalism, uh, you know, the religious spirit rising up that's caused a lot of Muslims to be disillusioned, and they're looking for hope, they're looking for peace, and ultimately looking for love. I think of 
Dr. Hormoz Shariat, who has been our guest from the nation yeah. of Iran, who talks about a Muslim who is asking questions. Yeah is about 70% of the way to leaving Islam. Like they, yeah, yeah. once you start asking questions, there aren't good answers. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to go someplace else. You have to go outside. Um, what are some of the things that Spirit of Martyrdom is doing now? You, you mentioned the work in India. You mentioned Northwest Africa. What does it look like for you to go and, and come alongside of believers there Talk yeah, about great, talk about the ministry. Great question. You know, but I got to mention. I think the foundation. It sounds so uh, trite and, and so uh, um, elementary, but I think it's important as believers. And I, I'm trying to remind everybody that all good ministry is based upon really deep relationships. And so we've we we are committed to a relational ministry of looking for the fruit of the Holy Spirit and building that trust, so that together we can really sense the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So out of that platform. We, we build, the Lord's given us wisdom how, um, starting these church planting um, schools are six months long, and then they have to trust the Holy Spirit. We, they're not, you know, we're not their great provider. What, the, the, the Lord qualifies them by them trusting the Lord, and some, a lot of them are bivocational, but some of them trust full-time, and God brings in their provision in those nations. So they learn to trust in the Lord and, and get provision. We have this sewing schools called Lighthouse Schools, and this is uh, widowed women and persecuted women who are able to get a skill. Most of them are illiterate. They have no skills. Um, so they were able to get six months of, of training in sewing and discipleship, and then people come to get their clothes stitched, and guess what they're here about? The Word of God. And we give them a MP3 player, and they hear the Word of God playing. And so the, you know, the, the Muslims and or you know, in other nations we're doing um, say, well, what's that about? And then they get in these spiritual conversations. And, and so those have been huge tools for us. Everything we do, Todd, um, we go by the world, has to be reproducible. Um, it has to be multipliable. And so if something's dependent upon us, for you know, as compared to that, like, for instance, if we did a— you know, a, a just a support program, kind of a, a church planner support program, then, then every month they're dependent upon us. And they're going to be able, that that work is going to have to grow as fast as we grow. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we, we're limited. We're a small guy, you know. Right. And so we, we didn't want it to depend, depend upon that. So that's that's a tool we give to them. The sewing machines we give is a tool, but they have to fix it. They have to own it. We give um, bicycles away. So the bicycles um, in like, uh, you know, in, we just graduated in, in – um, Northwest Africa, 200 Muslim background believers. And the expectation is, and, and the hope what we've seen is they'll start, all start a house church in an unreached village. And uh, and so it's exciting what God is doing in that village. And in India, uh, they're just on fire there. We've seen the average house church planter there. Um, it's, it's an unusual season, but the average church planter will start five house churches within 12 months and average about 20. So it's about 100 souls. But if we give them a wow. bicycle, Todd, it usually increases to eight within 12 months. So these are just tools that are dependent upon us so that we know if we ever go away, the work's going to continue. And we're doing agriculture and we're doing, you know, we've done some medical things. All of them are based upon three things. And I know this is right at the home of VOM. And this is, we share so many common ground, this one for sure, word of God. And that was so much on the heart of Richard, you know, Wormbrand mm -hmm. with all the Bible smuggling. So three things, the printed word of God. We always try to get in the printed word of God where we can and where it's appropriate. Second is the audio word of God, because like in Northwest Africa and other places, it's up to 40 percent 
illiteracy. So, you know, you can give them the Bible all they want. They're going to end up maybe, unfortunately, smoking it, but not reading it. You know, it's good paper. <laughs> you know, so that's not what we want to happen. So the audio, and we can use MP3 players. We can use radio. And then thirdly, and I, and I think in some ways the most important is I think of Christ because he said go and make disciples. He didn't say go and, you know, give out Bibles. That's part of it. So is the incarnational word. And it's the church planting schools. And it's the impartation and the discipleship that's going on. So everything, all those other practical tools we give are all to build up discipleship in, in the maturity of Christ and sons and daughters of God. Let's talk about the six-month church planter training. What what does that look like? Because if, if you're sending people out and they're planting five house churches in a year, you're doing something right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. so what, what does that training look like? Yeah, so um, it, it, it's slightly different in, in different regions. Since you brought up India, I'm going to talk about India. So in India, they meet three times a week, and then they're off for, you know, to work and in a, in a rest before the Lord. Um, so that takes away from all the expense of residential. And so then they come and they go all day long and they do practical ministry. They're, they're learning the practical ways of imparting God's word. I mean, you know, they do the Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, and, you know, ministry and, and women in, in ministry and all these things and doctrine and stuff like that. But what they do is they then take that and they go out every evening and they do ministry together. So now they're not seeing it just taught knowledge base. But now it's practical transformational mm-hmm. base. And that's really important, again, is the relationship. So you're taking you're, your classroom stuff and you're walking it out yeah. within 12 hours, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're part of a network, too, of the global network, that they're hearing about the persecuted stories. Because, as you know, Todd, uh, you know, again, you and I have been in some countries together. You go to these nations, they don't have the, the freedom of press. They don't have all the resources we have. So they have no idea about persecuted believers outside their own nation. So by them being connected with the global body, they're getting inspired on a regular basis of this global network, we, and, and we share stories. So um, one of the things that they, they're doing now, and this is amazing, they humble us, their, their newsletter they developed, they, they started with nothing when we started in 2011, and now we're you know, 11 years later. Their newsletters built up to 50,000 newsletters a month that they're distributing just through their network of house churches. Wow. And um, and so those stories just like fire them up. And so they're global and minded and they they know what's going on. They're, they're prayer warriors. And so they're praying. So, again, you, you guys see the DNA is in those schools that they're, they have other mature believers. They've had three martyrs um, just in the last few years of church planners who have been killed for the faith. Wow. Uh, many of them beaten, I mean, just this last uh, 12 months. We had over, I think it was over 300. I, I don't know the exact, can't remember the exact number, 300 believers had to flee some villages uh, where the all the Christians were kicked out. Um, so, I mean, they, they know intensity there. As I know you've done some great interviews from, from India, 10th highest rated persecuted nation now. Uh, in the world. But I'll tell you, the persecution we've had, and this is one of the strengths I see in India, is it every time so far, it's drawn them together. Nobody's shrinking back. In fact, you have the troops running in. They'll come beside, they'll, they'll, they'll sneak in um, to a few villages. They've been persecuted. They, the, the fundamentalists there have um, isolated them so the families can't go outside. And the believers are sneaking in food, encouragement. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a saying there, we do life together. Their family. And I think that's been the power of this revival movement happening in India. So so the reason I mentioned that is those who go to the schools, it's not like they advertise, you can't go online and sign up for this right. and, get, and do an application. They come from the house churches. So most of the time when I'm at a graduation, I raise their hand, how long have you been a Christian? They're mostly within two years, you know. They can't believe and go, I want to sign up for that, you know. And so they're, they're, it's a first-generation believers 
uh, coming and getting involved in this new life. And um, and so, that again, it's all that DNA being created of this movement of God. It's just so pure and beautiful and clean hearts. And so hopefully, I don't know, did that give a picture of it? I think it, it did, okay. yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that comes to me is the naturalness of God rescued me. Of course, I want to tell everyone. Yeah. Uh, of course, I want to go to the next village. Yeah. God, God wants to rescue people there too. Who's you know who else is going to tell them? Yeah. That's the thing that that captures me is just the excitement of, man, I want to go to the next village. Hey, give me a yeah. bike so I can go to the next village after that. Yeah. Uh, that excitement to share the gospel. David, as we wrap up, we always try to equip our listeners to pray. We want Amen. them to be prayer warriors. Yeah. Thinking about those village pastors in India or in Northwest Africa or those those people who are graduating and they're going out into ministry, how do we pray for them this week? Yeah, I, I think, you know, is the biggest thing that people need to know is they're, they're loved and remembered. And so um, I'm just going to give one. There was a um, believer just recently in, in prison for apostasy laws. He was going to be put to executed. And our director um, went in there and told him how there were literally tens of thousands of people praying for him. And and that brought tears to his eyes, just the power of being remembered. And and so I just want to encourage believers. They don't have to be elaborate prayers or just the plain fact that you have something in your heart and you say that even arrow prayer. God hears. It honors the Lord. It unifies us. Um, the International Day of Prayers uh, for the Persecuted Church is coming up. VOM, of course, has some great stuff. We we have some stuff. We're my encouragement. Every church, every organization needs to get behind that. It's in November, and um, and I, I think that's one of the uh, ways that you know the VOM supporters can could get their organizations and people involved is doing the IDOP. So I want to put in a little advertisement for that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. David, it is so fun to be able to fellowship with you again, and yeah. uh, I think our listeners can hear through the through the microphone the passion that you have for the work that God has called you to, the passion you have for our brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you for being our guest this week. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.